You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. So we had recently run out of copies of Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth, as some of you know, everywhere. You can't get them on Amazon or Barnes & Noble because they're all sold out. But the good news is that for those of you that listen to this podcast or are finding this podcast and just beginning to listen to us, you can get copies of the book Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth from our website, at bridemovement.com, we have a fresh stock that has just been delivered. And so know that. And if you have friends that have been perplexed as to why they cannot find that particular book anywhere, um, let them know they are back in stock. I want to give a special shout out to all of you that continue to support us financially. You are making a difference. Guys, we are planning a Massive transition. My wife and I are moving to Houston. Uh, We are getting a ministry training center slash church building in Houston. We are going to be pursuing survivor housing in Houston. And we are believing God to bring all of these things into fruition debt-free. So we are saving, we are looking, we are planning, we are doing everything that we can on our end, and trusting God to do what he does. And so, as you sow into us, uh, just know that uh, you are sowing into an expanding kingdom outreach to the earth. And uh, for those of you that are thinking about, how can I visit Bride Ministries once you all get based in Houston, or maybe move? (laughs) Uh, Look, we are going to be in the southwest quadrant, uh, somewhere around the Sugarland area. That's where we're looking. I can't say anything official because we don't have anything official yet. But that's the update, guys. Uh, please understand the deliverance portal is very close. We are continuing to work out a few bugs with the email interface, making sure that all of the assessments properly link to emails that are well put together uh, that will be sent confidentially to your email box to help you map all of your issues, problems, and concerns to our prayer resources. And so look forward to that deliverance portal going live soon. It will allow the whole world access to uh, cutting-edge, effective resources for deliverance and breakthrough. I am going to curtail my announcements at this point, no one likes long announcements, apparently, except me. So, folks, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Folks, we are back on Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall, and I am joined by my friend, Timothy Bence, who is a minister that has ministered all over 
I mean, the country, the world, uh, the guy goes into places, hurricanes strike, uh, <laughs> earthquakes happen, tornadoes. The spiritual atmosphere around him is considerable. And um, it is the result of the relationship that he maintains with Jesus. It's always interesting to hang out around Tim and uh, see what happens. But today, uh, he is joining me for a conversation based on some downloads the Lord has given him regarding things going on and things that we can look to expect in the coming months and years. Uh, You can check him out at jubileecovenant.org. He also has a link to his Facebook profile where he has regular posts and all kinds of things that go on. So be sure to check him out there. Timothy, welcome back to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Good to be here, Dan. (laughs) I always love joining you. It's it's, it's good to have you back. And um, I'm very excited about the things we're going to be talking about today. You have some really cool insights, revelations, downloads, I want to just open up and have you begin talking about how the events that we've been watching play out this year are leading up to an awakening. You know, I think um, just in the natural, a lot of prophetic words began coming out about a revival or awakening coming um, been going on for a few years. I think that tends to happen every time we come around to a new millennium, like, you know, 2000 or 2020, or for some reason those numbers kind of charge up the profits. Uh, but I, I believe there's been a real sense in the body of Christ now for 10 to 12 years that something is percolating and we're getting very close to a breakthrough in some supernatural way. I also think just looking back at history, history really does repeat itself often with revivals. And very often we see uh, pandemics and revivals go near to one another. Um, 1919, we had a pandemic that uh, broke out very similar to this one, except it was actual flu. And this one has a lot of weird and bizarre stuff going on with it. I I wanted to, to really just acknowledge that lots of prophets and lots of intercessors have been saying now for at least 10 years that we're getting really close to the threshold of a some kind of revival or a breakthrough. A few years ago, I started speaking the word awakening. I, I kept hearing every time I would pray for revival, Jesus would start talking to me about awakening. And so I just said, what's the difference? I, I think I know a little difference in my head, but I'd like to understand it from his perspective. And he, he said very bluntly, normally in history, revival comes, his people humble themselves and pray and, and get right, and that's what revival is. And then something breaks open with the power of God and the glory or evangelism or uh, God starts moving in new ways. And we we may go into an awakening. And the difference is that revival is just God's people getting right with him again, getting cleaned up, you know, back into the presence. Awakening is when God sovereignly begins to move with his own mighty hand, and he does things we've not seen before. 
Um, <clears throat> we've had two recorded great awakenings in the United States. I, I think history made them bigger than they are. Uh, even using the word great is not something probably that God would have done, but we called them great awakenings. They were very sovereign uh, in their movement. Something phenomenal did occur. Uh, there's a lot of record in the history books about it. The reason why I think they fell short of what, what I would have called great is they didn't sweep all the way across the country. They didn't sweep all the way across the world. But they did start uh, um, some, a massive new level of evangelism and missions. And yeah, there's, I don't ever want to say that, that they couldn't have been, uh, that they fell short of what God wanted, but I think every move of God could always be greater if we just continue moving. At some point they stopped. Um, but Jesus said very clear to, clearly to me just a while back that he said, uh, in, in your day, I'm going to bring an awakening before I bring revival. And I asked him why um, it sounded backwards according to his own words. And, and he said, well, we're coming to the place where the, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. We're also approaching the fulfillment of the scripture that says the sinners, the publicans, the, the prostitutes, the, the ones that we considered, you know, unsavable, that they're going to get saved. They're going to get into the kingdom of God ahead of us. That's a humbling thing. But, Jesus actually said, I did this once before. If you understand how the effect of the move of God in Acts 2 had on Jerusalem, the priest did not jump into it when he was on the ground. They came in later after the power of God began to move in phenomenal new ways. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I would call Acts 2 an awakening. Mm -hmm. um, they were already, uh, most of the people that were in that room had already gotten right with God in every way that they knew possible. They just didn't understand the resurrection until Jesus appeared to them and explained himself a little bit. And then tongues of fire set on them. The power of God came down. It broke out into the city and into the nations. And uh, the, the difference was it, it wasn't a planned, let's get right with God. It was just an explosion of God's glory. It began to move in sovereign ways. He started showing up and doing things that they'd never seen before. Um, we, we have, for instance, we have no recording of scripture of a shadow healing anybody until we get to um, past Acts 2. And that's, that's just one thing. There's a lot of stuff mentioned that hadn't been seen before. So in, I look at Acts, uh, uh, for the most part, as a, a snapshot or a preview of the full measure we're going to probably get here soon, where God promised that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, the things that he's going to do for those that love him. Uh, if it is a preview, then he's going to outdo himself the next time, which I believe we're going to live to see. Um, that said, I really began to inquire of the Lord when he started speaking about awakening. I was like, what's required on our end, you know, or how do we know what time it is? 
<clears throat> if if you followed any of my Facebook things, and I, I don't post a whole lot of things, but every once in a while when I've got something important, I'll, I'll usually put it on there. Uh, in March, I posted two different Facebooks that were identifying the time and season we were in, and I related it to some um, some calendar events that we had been researching, myself and a few friends. <clears throat> we've, we've discovered that very often scripture repeats itself. The problem with figuring that out is when it repeats itself, it's not always exactly the same. And it's not, it's, it's rarely as, as big if it's a judgment, for instance. So mm -hmm. the Noah story, for instance, mm -hmm. is a, is one of the most profound stories in scripture. It's a global flood. It's a disaster. It's a massive judgment. Everybody dies except the people that got in the boat. It's one of those things that you go, this must be really important because the, the, just understanding that story, it has a global effect when God did it. In January this year, the Lord said to me and to two other friends of mine, he, he said to all of us independently, that we were going to see a repeat of the Noah story this year. Wow. And it, it just, you know, it kind of scared them. I don't get afraid very often, but, but it kind of shook me a little bit because I thought, oh, no, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> you know, I don't have a boat. I've got to get a boat real quick. <laughs> and, uh, but the, the wonderful, amazing thing about the – the ancient Hebrew text is the multiple meanings of every letter and every word. So what we found is when these stories in scripture repeat themselves, the meaning stays um, within the context of the letter of the word, but how it's applied in our day can be very different from the beginning, even though it may still be within the framework of the meaning. And the cause, if God allows a judgment to repeat, he's dealing with the same cause as he was dealing with in the beginning, but it's never as severe in the repeats because, first of all, he's already judged it. Secondly, he's very merciful. So he's cleaning up some of the same things so it doesn't come to that level again. But the the fact that he said, we're going to repeat that, it's a serious thing. So I said, well, what's that going to look like? How's that going to happen? And when the when we looked at the dates on it, we were able to calculate out um, some approximation on our calendar. We're, we haven't published this yet, so I don't talk about it too much. But we've we've been tracking these prophetic words when they repeat. Um, to, just to try to make adjustments to the calendar. Every time we got one nailed down that we know is going to repeat, then we watch the stories, we watch how it plays out, and then it helps us adjust the calendar a little bit. And we've gotten more and more accurate at being able to um, predict that something is going to happen on a certain day that matches up with a certain scripture. But it's still difficult to talk about until it starts happening because you don't know exactly how it will line up with that verse until it starts happening. Now, um, first of all, the Noah story itself 
is God getting into overdrive, shifting into overdrive to protect his plan for the earth. He had birthed uh, mankind. He had given his blessing. He had come into covenant. And yet the word starts out talking about the fallen angels or the sons of God. And it starts out talking about um, some agitation going on and some murmuring and complaining that's happening because of the curse that God had put on the earth when Adam sinned. Well, that's not a good, those aren't good conditions. And when you just read that, it doesn't else, it doesn't even sound all that bad. But if you were living in that day, it, it goes from murmuring and complaining to everyone had become desperately wicked and was rebelling against God. So they were scheming in new and new, new and ingenious ways to disrupt the plan of God. They were mad at him for cursing the earth and making their lives difficult. And instead of repenting and getting back into covenant with him and asking for that curse to be lifted, they instead seems like they just kind of wholesale went off the deep end and decided, uh, to resist any kind of good news. So Noah ends up with this very unsuccessful ministry. He preaches for 120 years. It doesn't get any converts. <laughs> and uh, it's tough. Yet he still found faithful, you know, and then it makes a very cryptic statement in Genesis. It says that God comes to him and says, you've been found faithful in all of your generations. That phrase in Genesis is very odd. Uh, if you take it back to the ancient uh, Hebrew text, you could, you could reword that as you've been found faithful in your DNA, that there's not a corruption in your DNA. Yeah. Why is that important? Because there's some real evidence as you dig deeper and deeper into the original text around that story that there was a, a plan to manipulate the DNA. Uh, and that's why we were getting, you know, mighty men of old and the giants coming out. Of, and the other clue that it gives us is they were marrying it says they were taking the women as their wives. The giants or the, or the fallen angels were taking the women. It, it really implies that they were taking them, not coveting it with them. So they're not coming into covenant with God and impregnating a new wife. They're taking the woman like a slave, and they're doing some kind of genetic program to try to create uh, a race that will overthrow heaven. Now that's pretty scary. But when you read it that way, then you go, you know, God was being very just. He wasn't mean. He wasn't just getting rid of everybody because he was mad at them. Uh, he was protecting his plan and he was protecting the faithful. So he provides a way of escape from the, the, the calamity. Um, <clears throat> The other thing that's quite interesting in that is Noah ends up being given a, a refuge for something that he had never seen before. He's told to build a boat to survive a rain, and he's never seen rain before. 
that's a level of revelation that's pretty profound just to get started. And then to go through the time and effort to get all that done is pretty profound. Now, another amazing thing that happens is God causes the animals to come and cooperate so he can rescue them also. And he's, he's caring for the creation. He's caring for the earth itself. And he's showing care and concern, especially for those that he, he's come into covenant with. So he's delivering his plan from the hands of his enemies. And he's securing their demise, but at the same time, he's resetting the entire earth on a level for righteousness to reign again. And when you fast forward and you go, okay, how does that apply to our day? Uh, there's real evidence coming out, which you, you probably know as much or more than I do on this subject, but there's real evidence coming out that there's been genetic manipulation programs going on for quite a long time. <laughs> <laughs> they're, trying, they're trying to do it today, the very single, the very same thing. In fact, it's very likely it may be some of the same bloodlines that are orchestrating that. It certainly is demonically inspired. Um, so some of the same fallen angels may be leading this whole thing. Now that said, <clears throat> in order to corrupt the earth, you've got to have someone righteous involved too. So, so if they can get to Adam's seed, and by that I don't mean a pure race, I mean those that God has blessed, those that have come into covenant with him. We're, we're far from pure, we're far from perfect, but because we have covenant with him, we have something in our DNA that, that the fallen ones don't, and that is the blood of Jesus. If that can be corrupted somehow, then they think they maybe can thwart the plan of God. Um, so we, we discovered that to make it plain again, just to quickly mention, we we found some dates. We thought if we're right, if our calendar is accurate, then it looks like on March 11th this year, there's going to be some kind of a pandemic, some kind of a flood. You know, that we didn't know it was a pandemic. We just knew it was the global flood. Hmm. But what's weird about it is on March 11th, two things happened in the news. And this is always the way this plays out. You, when you get the story matched up with the date, then you watch it. It, it always plays out in the news. <laughs> Even if the news is fake, it comes out in the news. So, um the two stories that hit on March 11th was pretty profound. One was a financial collapse. Yeah. And the second one was a pandemic is loose and spreading around the earth. Now, what's weird about that particular announcement on March 11th is there really was a financial collapse that happened right after midnight that night or right after midnight, uh, so it had been early morning on March 11th in our timetable. That should have been the big story for the day. It should have been a, a reset of the financial system. Instead, we get the announcement of a pandemic, and at the time that they announced it as a pandemic, which was Dr. Fauci, by the way, at the time he announced that as a pandemic, the numbers were not there to call it a pandemic. So he was 
he was jumping the gun a little bit from being able to authoritatively say we are in a pandemic. He was basing it, according to his words, on the way the numbers are going to multiply. This is going to get really bad. So it's a, it's a good thing to let everybody know ahead of time that there's something bad to, to watch out for. But he called it a pandemic probably a couple of months early. And yet he he landed on the day that matched up with the Noah story, which was the day that it was beginning to rain. Now, mm-hmm. why is that a match? Because in the Noah story, we have a flood and it's going to kill everybody that doesn't get in the ark by drowning them, by taking their breath away. And then we get a replay of that story on March 11th that's going to cause you to drown in your own lungs by locking up the oxygen in your body so that it can't reproduce and circulate. And you you don't die from the virus itself. You die from it plugging up your capillaries so that you, you die of your lungs filling up with fluid just like you would if you were drowning in the ocean. It's really strange. Um, but that was a good match to say, hey, we're on to the story, and today's the beginning of 40 days. Now, if we were accurate there, which we felt like we were, um, then you could just calculate up 40 days from there, and there should be some kind of an announcement that would happen again that would say the rain has stopped. What's weird about it is the beginning of Genesis starts out with uh, everyone was doing what was, they were following the wicked imaginations of their heart. And it uses that phrase that before God judged the earth, almost entire mankind was following after their own wicked imaginations. Wicked imaginations if you're going to talk about it and announce it and speak about it to others is a nice way of saying fake news. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because got a lot of if, that. If yeah. If you're not going to tell people really what, what's going on, or if you're not going to tell people the truth, then you're just going to make up whatever imaginations of your heart fit with your paradigm and you want everybody to believe and think like you do. So news has moved from telling us what's going on in the world to instead trying to tell us how to think. And it's trying to tell us how to think that's contrary to the way God thinks. So it's Mm. making the earth more and more wicked as we listen to it. Now there's some very troubling things going on in the world that would be a good idea if we knew about them, you know, but instead, we get over and over and over things that are just trying to warp our thinking so that we're falling short of God's glory. I'm convinced, after really looking at how this has played out with the, the media and with the governments and the coercion around the earth uh, of fraud associated with the disease, first of all, I think it's a real disease. I think it's a, a, it, it can be a real problem. But I'm wondering where the actual flu went. You know, we haven't had any flu cases this year. We've only had COVID-19. And that's really bizarre. You know? Very curious, huh? 
Yeah, I mean, um, oh, this, all right. Go. I have uh, also cross. noticed, as everybody else has, if you've been paying attention, that the real numbers have been revised now about three times by the experts. They're now, according to their records, about 90% less in deaths and viruses than what they originally published just a few months ago when they called it a pandemic. If you go by the real numbers that they are now publishing, we have never been in a pandemic. Never. But it's spread around the earth like a flood in 40 days, which is really funny because it, it basically isn't as bad as it should be, but it can still kill you. And it still has cost some people that <clears throat> looking at this as a, as a, as a global flood instead of a pandemic, then what flooded around the earth was a false story to make the whole mindset of the world wicked so that we would lose touch with how God thinks. And it was timed Although it is a real virus, and it probably does have some real natural problems, it, you can't just ignore it totally. That's what makes this really difficult. In order to get away with it, they had to release something that could kill you. Whether it's actually what they're saying it is, I've yet to see evidence. Even the testing, things that they're testing for it, um, according to every expert that said there's a disclosures on every one of the test kits that tells you it may, it may not actually find COVID-19, but if you get a positive test result, you're going on the stats as that really odd. Um, there's a race now to get a, a vaccine going. And I actually think that uh, we actually are witnessing something very similar to what Noah probably witnessed where there was a, a, an engineered rebellion to God that deceived the massive amount of the population to make them desperately wicked so that they would not respond to God when he said, come and let me rescue you. Mm. Now, the trauma of that if you were in the boat, would have been horrible to witness the screams and cries of everybody that didn't get in. But there's a really interesting thing that happens when God gets all of them in the boat with the animals and, and Noah and his families, eight, eight people and then all the animals. The, the word of God says that God shut the door. Now, knowing the nature of God, just from walking with him my whole life, I asked him an odd question. Um, I, I always do this. I, I come up with these questions. I don't and He always tries to answer them. But my question was, Jesus, when you shut the door to the ark, were you on the inside or the outside? Wow. Now, why I came up with that question, I really can't tell you. It's just the way my brain thinks. But, but knowing that this is a rescue operation and that this is a deliverance, not a judgment under death, it's it, everybody that died chose to die because they chose to rebel against God and not repent. 
Everybody that got in the ark chose to get in the ark because they wanted to be in covenant with him. And if you're in covenant with him, when he shuts the door, he shuts the door with himself inside. Mm -hmm. So I would submit to you that there were nine people in the ark. That God himself stepped into the ark in order to bring a level of rest to those that were in covenant with him in the midst of the calamity and the judgment, he was there with them so that they would have had peace and rest and they would have had a sense of security that this thing we've never seen before called rain and this massive flood that we've never witnessed before. We didn't even know what you were talking about when you said it. Now that we, now that we know we're experiencing it, it's okay. We're here with you. Now that that hiding away of a remnant with the presence is always a prelude to revival and awakening. There's always a period before any kind of revival breaks out in history where God calls a remnant to come away with him, hide themselves in the presence, find him again, get right with him, begin to stir the things of heaven on the earth, and then it breaks out. And usually what we recorded in history as revival is the out, outflow of something that had already happened where God came in and met with a remnant of people. Now, why is that important? Because we've got a date. We've got a date that matches up with something. That for 40 days from March 11th until April 28th, we were supposed to be sitting still and remembering that he is God. Almost nobody that I know in the body of Christ was doing that because they were restless and they didn't like it and it seemed odd and the news was crazy and everybody was, you know, didn't know what to believe. But those that heard him to just stop and slow down and not be too troubled by this. Get still. It's really interesting. This is the first time in our lives, Daniel, that God himself has shut down the church. I'm not going to say that the world did that or the CDC did that. God himself shut down his house so he could get his people to be still in every household he wanted to come and visit you in your house. And there was a level of opportunity where he was making himself available during that shutdown on a profound scale for everyone that was willing to sit still. I've heard from thousands of people this year that the heavens have opened on an unprecedented scale. Seers are seeing more than they've ever saw. Prophets are getting crazy stuff. People are just praying and they're up there in the heavens. And before that was not really that hard, that easy, you know, something happened in March where God made his glory very accessible to everyone that wanted to go in. Now, some gifting makes that easier than others. So some people can see and others can't. And if you don't have the gifting that makes it possible to see and hear easily, it doesn't mean that you were, you were left out. Your heart is 
where you're supposed to be communing with God. And if you were talking to him through this, through this particular um, season, a record has been made of your conversation. And a response has already now been pre-planned by heaven that's profound. So the other thing, because I know that this was a wicked scheme, and it matches up with the wickedness we see in Genesis before the flood, then I think that you could say that some of the people that are rebelling against God that have power in our day in different places of the world decided that it was time to deal with the church because they believed the prophets sometimes and they knew there was prophecies coming out that there was going to be an, a revival and awakening. If you're a communist government, your number one threat, according to history, is believers because they always seem to find a way to, to call for freedom again and to ask for God's help. So you persecute them in order to rule. It's really interesting. I'm not trying to make a judgment out of it. I don't know what to make of it other than it just happened. But it is interesting that the first city where the pandemic was announced was Wuhan. And Wuhan was one of the first very Christianized cities in China under the communist rule. It had an abundance of believers in that city. So I, I have to speculate from that, that if this was a planned pandemic and not an accidental pandemic, which it was, then, then it targeted people of faith, mm. at least, at least for the first round. So you could, you know, knock that one out. Let's get rid of the protesters in Hong Kong. Let's get rid of the protesters in Taiwan. Let's shut down everyone from being able to take to the streets and overthrow a wicked government. And it doesn't matter if it's China or if it's the United States or if it's Europe. It doesn't matter where the wickedness is. When the people realize their government is wicked, they always overthrow it in history. When they don't think they can, then they cry out to God for help. Now, the reason why I say that is I, I love the Chinese people. I love, I actually like China. I think it's a wonderful, amazing place. Its history is profound. Its people are amazing. I would like to see China survive into the future with a very strong group of people that are doing what they were created to do. I hope they're our friends. But the only place that I can say on the earth right now that has had actual biblical proportion issues going on has been China. Ever since the virus was released, China has gotten a real flood while everybody else got a pandemic. They, the largest dam in the world is about to break over there. Many of their food crops have been destroyed this year. They've had a, an outbreak of, of bubonic plague. They've had another outbreak of the, of the swine flu. They've had multiple outbreaks of the COVID, if that's what it really is. And they've got rain on a, on a, a level that has been absolutely breaking re world records. 
I don't know if it's the last date. I don't don't quote me on this. I may be a little off here, but the last date I saw that they had gotten over seventy days of nonstop rain in one large portion of China, and then a typhoon came on top of that. Are you sure you weren't visiting, Tim? <laughs> I have been over there in the spirit a lot, and I'm praying. I'm, I'm really praying for the Chinese people because I love the people. I, I have um, to say, I have to say, I just have to say this real quick. You know, um, I was with Tim in Canada, and um, the week that we were there, struck by not one, not two, but what was it, seven tornadoes? Seven, seven tornadoes, <laughs> and the power of one third of the city was out that happened shut down parliament shut down, parliament. <laughs> shut down the yeah. parliament that, while we were preaching like this happened during the meeting so yeah i have to ask the question sometimes anyway <laughs> go ahead you know, there's a prophecy in um, ancient chinese history the you know the largest statue of buddha in the world is over there close to the uh, i think it's the yangtze river Mm. And they, the the prophecy is that if if Buddha's feet ever get wet, then it's a calamity on the earth. And right now, his his feet are wet. Look at that. So even the people in China are saying to their government, "What have we done that has angered God?" Well, the quickest way to get on God's bad side is try to kill the people that He loves. Whoa. That is the quickest way to get, you know, a, a come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> Touch not the Lord's anointed and do his prophets right. no and it harm. It doesn't mean that God is mad at them. It's God is trying to rescue them. He's trying to save them. He's trying to help them. But he wants them to stop being wicked. And he's doing the same thing in all of the nations. China's not exempt from this, but neither is the United States. Every wicked government is now under indictment by the living God. And that includes the church. Judgment always begins at the house. So when Father God decided to shut down the church, what was he saying to us? He was saying, you've got to get religion out of you and get the presence of God back in you. It's interesting, you know, and if I can just interject this real quick, one of the things that I've noticed this year is that a a lot of people have been moving around and people that were really in religious systems, devoid of the spirit, devoid of the word, devoid of the move of of God, uh, with the closing of these facilities, um, are going online and finding the word and finding ministries that are full of life, activation, fruit, and shifting. Well, it's been interesting. Continue. Well, one of the interest. You're right. One of the interesting things about even the new technology that we have in our hands is if you weren't getting the word of God in your local church, you didn't have to go very far. You didn't have to change churches. You could find somebody that was preaching. Um, And so the social media has had this 
profound, you know, negative effect on the world, but it's also had an amazing effect with the gospel. It has allowed the gospel to get to places that it wouldn't be able to get to otherwise, at least not without threat of life. And so um, it's amazing how things are happening. And for the most part, because we've had fake news now, and I'm, I'm really using that term not because President Trump did. Uh, he, uh, first of all, I think it was happening long before he ran for office. I, I don't think our news has been really accurate for quite some time, even though it's been a progression of getting worse and worse. At some point, the news media just decided to join a rebellion. And stop honoring God. Now, I don't blame that on them. I, I, I think that was because the condition of the church was so poor. We weren't giving them any news. <laughs> we weren't giving them any glory stories. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. And in that condition, we need revival. Mm. So we can't blame them for thinking we're irrelevant when we're fighting with one another and we don't pray for one another and we're not moving in miracles and signs and wonders and and they're not seeing answers to prayer. And so they're just going to look to something else because they're fallen and they don't know where, which direction to fall. When we get our voice back, which comes when we have the presence of God, and now we're a light shining on the hill again. We will be in the news. Mm. There will be things that are happening in the, in the earth that no one's going to be able to explain without admitting God did that. I personally can say very authoritatively, because Jesus said it to me, that he's going to remove the atheists from the earth before he returns. Not by you know, killing them and wiping them off, but by transforming them with evidence that he's alive and well. He's going to make it really hard for people to not believe in him. Yes. Now that said, in order to do that, we've got to have a massive change in the body of Christ. And so every time I've seen evil take a new level and come up with a new scheme that's detrimental to us, God always raises a standard. He, he always, you know, when the enemy comes in, God raises up a standard against him. And so the standard is first righteousness and then power. So if we start walking again in righteousness and we let him clean us up, get us right with him, then we begin moving in power and his power begins to answer the foolishness of the world. Now looking at awakening again, um, because I know that the response of the medical industry, you know, can, can say pretty evidentially the CDC, the national health, the, the international agencies that try to oversee uh, you know, keeping us alive in a pandemic situation. Those organizations were originally set up to get ahead of this kind of a problem and save our lives. 
But somewhere back there, we weren't watching, we weren't paying attention, we probably weren't praying for them. And it looks like they may have been taken over by a nefarious influence. So so either this was engineered and released by the very people that are supposed to be protecting us from this stuff, and or when it was released, they decided to commit fraud against the, the nations of the earth and to do it so wholesale and so brazenly, they should be indicted. Yes. Preach it. Absolutely. They should be indicted because they've risked life. People have died from the fraud. You know? And even if they were accidental, they don't get paid to be accidental with you know category five diseases they get paid to know what to do to handle this stuff it's interesting how a few people have gone to jail a few people have been indicted but we're not even getting the real story on all of that Um, somehow the statistics have been warped the media has played along with that and it's it's become very clear to most people that this is the real problem, or at least they're not sure how bad it is. So it's better to be cautious, but at the same time, it's in the middle happening in one of the worst political uh, arguments going on in our lifetime. And so it's become a political arm instead of a health arm. And by that, it's very clear when governors and mayors took the information from the CDC and had to come up with a health response for their populations and for the territory they govern. They had to err on the side of caution. They had to respond authoritatively with the statistics they were being given. What's bizarre though, is when those statistics were revised by 90% by the very people that published them, we're not seeing a revision in many of the places that have shut down. Hmm. Now, why? Because it's part of this wicked scheme. And uh, you just got to call it that because even New York, it was interesting. Um, I love New York, by the way, my brother lived there for 29 years and uh, I love going to visit him. Uh, I love the state of New York, especially, but New York City isn't one of my favorite cities in the world, but it's an amazing place to go. But I noticed a while, a few years ago, I started noticing a very odd thing in New York City. Everyone that I knew that lived there started getting really difficult to talk to, even to have a normal conversation with. Mm. If we talked about politics at all, didn't matter which side you were on, conservative, liberal, whatever, it was going to end up in an argument. Even if two liberals talk about it, they end up in an argument. It was just a little bizarre. And so I made a statement to one of my close friends that lives in New York City. I said, um, I said, I just, I asked her, I said, what's happened to you? A couple of years ago, we could have had this same conversation and it would have never been tenuous. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, I'm not even saying anything to challenge you. I'm complimenting you and you're arguing with me. Mm-hmm. 
And she, she stepped back. She said, I don't know. You're, you're right. Because this isn't, this isn't even like me. So I told her, I said, I want you to try something. Just, you know, I'm crazy half the time. Or at least people think I am. So, you know, just bear with me. I said, um, because I care about you, I think you're a really wonderful person. And we've always had good conversations. She, she's, she's an encourager. She's really said some things to me in the past. When my family needed something, she encouraged us. When she needed something, it seemed like I sometimes would, would, would call or send her a message. We don't ever talk a lot. But when we did, it was always beneficial. And this time, it was tenuous. And so I said, I want you to get in your car. And I want you to drive out of the city limits. Don't care which direction you go. Just go over one of the bridges, get out of Manhattan, preferably go into a different state. Either go over to Pennsylvania or go to New Jersey or something. Just get out of the city. And then call me on your cell phone while you're driving. You know, you don't have to be gone for days. Just just go for a drive. And so she went over to New Jersey. She just went over the Verrazano Bridge into New Jersey. And as soon as she crossed over out of the state of New York, it was like she woke up. Something just something just lit up, and she was back to who she really is. So she picks up the phone. She felt it. Uh, she, she felt something lift off of her. And so she calls me on the phone, and she goes, I, I'm crying. She said, I'm crying. And I don't even cry that much, but I'm crying. I felt something physically lift off of me. It's like I just woke up out of a out of a coma. Like, what is this, Tim? I said, you were under a spell. Mm-hmm. You were under a wicked spell. Mm-hmm. And now that you know about it, you can ask God to give you some insight on how to... to um, how to deal with it because you got to go back home, but you don't have to be subject to it. But because you haven't guarded yourself and you've engaged in the wicked conversation, you've opened the door to be subject to the spell. So I said, um, make every effort not to um, engage in foolish conversation. Let your words be edifying to others. That's part of your gifting. If somebody wants to argue, just smile and walk away. Don't engage. Now, I started asking, um, wow, is is this what's going on in that city? Or is this what's going on in our nation? Where is this, you know? I'm convinced that it there's not enough people that know what they're doing on the wicked side to do this in every city on, uh, on a grand scale. So they've got to figure out how to take cities and bring them under subjection and then deal with the political system. But then if they're really scheming, is it possible that this whole thing has gone to a ritual level of wickedness to get the entire population to participate in something they don't know is a wicked um, demonic spell? That said, 
It's because the prophets have been saying there's an awakening coming. It's not just to subdue a city and corrupt it. It's to keep a move of God from breaking out. Mm. Because the places where it has targeted the most by the, the mesmerizing and sorcery, and what I would say is probably we are under a spirit of Belial that has settled on almost the whole country. It has purposely carved out and drawn boundaries and targeted a foothold with the most strength that it has, areas where, where revivals have broke out in the past. Now, wow. You know, something I know about Jesus, he doesn't always do the same thing in the same spot again. He'll do it again, but not always in the same spot. So they might have moved all their forces to those spots, and they're wrong. It'll break out somewhere they didn't know about. <laughs> you know, either, way, <laughs> either way, God's power, when it begins moving on the scale that he's prophesying, this is not going to be a problem anyway. But it is a real problem right now because we don't have the awakening moving on the scale that we need. So we're subject to it, even if it's just troubling us from the news or troubling us from the political arena or troubling us from the business arena, it's locked down um, resources. It's locked down um, movement. It's, shut down the ability. So look at this from the standpoint, if it's really not a pandemic, but it is a virus and it's something we should be concerned about, what it has done by the response, not by the pandemic, we're not shutting our houses because we're scared to talk to our neighbors. We're shutting our houses because somebody told us we have to be. Well, we're wearing masks because somebody is mandating that we're required to do that. The scheme is not the pandemic. The scheme is to remove every freedom that God has given to you. Wow. So mm. you can't breathe. Mm. Mm. Even the mantra all over the place, I can't breathe, Black Lives Matter has picked up that mantra, but that's true for everybody in the country right now. Nobody can breathe normally right now because we got to wear a mask. And when I hide my face, even if that is beneficial for health reasons, prophetically, what are we saying? We're saying, I mean, I I take everything in the natural and I try to see if it matches up with scripture. And if it doesn't, then it's no big deal. But if it does, I want to pay attention to that scripture. What scripture matches up with wearing a mask? Noah uh, didn't wear a mask that we know of, but he went into an ark and shut the door. So he stayed inside of a, of a closed space with Jesus yeah. and with his family. Yeah. Moses went up the top of the mountain, had an encounter face-to-face with God, and then to, to shield the glory, he put on a veil. That's pretty odd. Why? Why wouldn't you want everybody to see what you saw? 
Maybe it was to prevent himself from having pride. Maybe it was to, you know, for, for legitimately good reasons. But often the response of the religious spirit or the response of the church when it's being religious is to hide the glory instead of to let it shine for everybody to see. It's to take it into the dark room and tell everybody to come in there and be a part of what you're doing to have it instead of just to spread it abroad and let everybody experience it, which is what God actually wants. Mm -hmm. So the veil, the, the word of God says that when he put the veil on, it caused something with the law to become so important that they now were subject to the law, but they also were darkened. They, they couldn't see clearly. They couldn't think clearly. When you cut off oxygen, you're not going to be able to think clearly. And pretty soon you're not going to be able to see very well. And you can't process things that God is saying correctly. When we take off that, and now I'm not going to hide my sin. I'm not going to hide my face from the one that made me. I'm going to run into the court and I'm going to let him shine a light on me and fix whatever needs to be judged. Knowing that he's merciful, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to let him clean me up. I need to be, it, it, it really is trying to train us to do what Adam and Eve did. And that's run from God when you're, when you're not right with him, instead of running to him, hide your sin, hide yourself, just low profile it and don't let anything, uh, you know, it's bad. Just, just, just stay in a small place and try to ride this out. But God forbid that you should call out to God in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> it's, it's funny how the, the very thing that is shut down in almost every state right now is the very thing we need in a pandemic. And that is, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Yeah. <clears throat> I think we're, we're set up for an awakening. And uh, a while back, uh, I started being led by the Lord uh, four or five times a year. This has been going on for about five years now. Four or five times each year, God has told me to go someplace where revival has happened or where some kind of a move of God happened or some glory story is recorded in history. And just to camp out there with a few friends and pray and ask God to do it again. Each time he told me that in most cases, he would not do it in that same spot again. Um, but to, to dig that well or to redig that well and ask God to open it back up for me is not saying do it in this place again, but it's saying what you did here, can we see it again? Yeah. Would you do it somewhere? And another thing that um, I've lived through personally, which I really want people to hear 
this in a personal way, especially if you're in ministry, if you're a part of the body of Christ. I prayed in Oklahoma City uh, for 22 years with a group of people travailing, really groaning, travailing, fasting, praying, pressing on God for a revival of this city. I gave a good portion of my life to serving this city, that it would become a place of, of refuge and a place for, for God's glory to be, to be broken out. And after 22 years, I got, I got uh, corrected by Jesus for a couple of things. Uh, one thing he corrected me for was my motive was wrong. Uh, I, this is a little troubling to say, but I'm just going to bear my heart because it's truth and it's something that we all need to consider. I was asking the living God with all of his glory to come into my church, my sanctuary, and fill it again with his glory. And in the process, save the city. You know, save every man, woman, and child in this city. Which in the evil intent of that wicked motive, it doesn't sound wicked, sounds like a good thing, but what makes it wicked was if God had answered my prayer, the city would have had to come to that sanctuary to find him. It would have been a good prayer if I had prayed for all of them. But my wickedness was come to my ministry, come to the place that I'm doing something. And if he had done that, I was really saying, I want you to bring all of your glory and come down to the earth again and endorse what I'm doing for you. And Jesus rebuked me nicely. He said, son, if what you're doing was really relevant, why are you asking me to return? Instead of asking me, why did I leave? He said, I'm not coming down with all of my glory to endorse what you're doing. I need you to come in with all of your mind, strength, and body and endorse what I'm doing. And so then he gave me a very, a very good word. It was, it was correcting, but it was good. He said, I've heard your prayers. You've been praying now for 22 years over your city. I've heard you. I'm going to do what you asked me to do. But I'm not going to do it the way you're perceiving in your heart. I'm going to sovereignly save those that don't know me. And I'm going to tear down, root out, and destroy everything that you think I should be inhabiting. And then I'm going to build the house that belongs to my son, and I'm going to raise up the kingdom of God on a level that you've not even comprehended fully. And I'm not mad at my church. I'm not mad at my people. But I am going to cast religion out like you've cast other demons out. Because there is a demonic force that is a religious spirit. And almost all idolatry in history is a religious spirit. Wow. So he said, you've cast out all kinds of demonic things out of people. And you've, you've helped many, many people with healing and deliverance. 
but you've not yet seen me move in a sovereign way, casting this religious spirit out that has kept my son from his glory in your city. And he said to me, 87% of the churches in your city do not belong to me. I will not inhabit them. I'm not coming there to bring my glory and, and lend it to them to be recognized. I'm coming there to deliver my sheep from those sheep pens that have enslaved them. And that, that word just wrecked me because I couldn't even imagine. Did you say 8.7 Jesus? Or did he said, no, you heard me. I said 87% of the churches in your city. Now at that time there were 2,800 of them. He said 87% of them do not belong to me. I said, how is that ever, how is that even possible? He said, well, this is what religion looks like instead of my kingdom. My gosh. And so I realized that I might be one of those. I, I mean, I've got one. I'm, I might be one that's on the wrong side of the fence here. I thought I was right, but maybe I just am totally clueless. So I asked him, Jesus is the, is the church that, that I'm a, you know, a part of? Is, is that, does that belong to you? I hope the answer is yes, but because of what you just said, I gotta. I I can't have revival till I have understanding of how bad I am. I don't know what to repent for till sometimes until he shows us our sin. This is where we've had a real problem. Mm. Most of the body of Christ has repented for things that they know are sins. You know, most of the Christians that I know have repented for a lot of stuff. And yet we're still walking short of the glory. It's because we haven't yet repented for the things that we didn't know were wrong. And we won't know that they're wrong till he shines a light on us and we get near enough to him to hear and to uh, see something that we thought was valid and he might not. At the same time, he does give us clues in scripture. We're supposed to judge it by the fruit. That means the biggest church in town may not be the most fruitful. You know, the, the most expensive building may not belong to him. You know, uh, the best preachers may not even know him. I mean, I, I met a guy in Hollywood a while back that was an actor and he was one of the best preachers I've ever met, but he was an actor. He wasn't even saved. <laughs> he was being offered TV and radio stations for ministry and he wasn't even saved. We're in a mess. We're just in a mess. But it's a good mess because Jesus is aware of it and he's got a good plan to fix this. But when I submitted his house to him and I said, whatever this is, if it's not legitimate, I don't want it anymore. If it is legitimate, we've still got a presence problem because we're preaching and teaching and doing stuff all the time, and yet where's the presence of God? My children are starved for the presence. And Jesus said it is legitimate. It will remain. Um, but it's not yours. I need you to lay it down. And this was the weird word. He said, only three of the families that are in that church have I divinely connected to your life. Mm -hmm. 
but you're trying to minister to 70 families. And only three of them are going to be fruitful. And I said, well, what do I do with the rest of them then? He said, give them the, the people that I intended to have. <laughs> wow. And he said, if you measure everything in your life by fruit, this really isn't a hard thing. But if you measure it by the outer appearance or by what people say, then you might be a mess and not even know it. But you should know it because you won't have my presence. Now, for me, that's difficult because I've always been able to hear the Lord pretty good. And I've always had a heart after him. So it's, it's harder for me to see that we're falling short of his glory when I have a level of it all the time. And, and this is where some ministers are, are stumbling here too, where if your own personal relationship is really tight with Jesus and you're doing everything right that you know to do, but the times and seasons have the body in a mess, then you're still subject somewhat to, to that problem. You're having to minister to the brokenness instead of minister to the glory. You've lived that out. You're, you know, ever since I've known you, you're dealing with broken people all the time. And, I, and I'm glad you do because most other people won't. You know? Well, thank um, you. But there comes a time when we get nearer and nearer to him that the brokenness should go away at some point. And we really do start acting like sons and thinking like sons and living like sons and, and, and carrying him in glory and healing should get easier and deliverance should get very, very easy. And the very, the most broken person can be transformed by a few minutes in face to face with Jesus on the same level that uh, it may take years for my ministry to help them get to that place. You know, the number one thing that we could do with our lives is, is discern the times and seasons and, and cooperate with what God wants so that we move into awakening and his own glory begins to manifest on a level that it sovereignly transforms people every time he's near. Yeah. Now, in history, when you look at awakening, the you know there was a couple of spots in the U.S. and a couple of spots in other places in the world where they had what they called glory zones. Uh, when that was the second great awakening, there was one place, if you got within about 20 or 30 miles of it, the presence of God would hit you. If you were traveling or if you were walking by, if you were headed somewhere else, you would step into that zone and the glory of God would hit you and people would end up on their face calling out to God within seconds. And then they would find their way to a group of believers after they had had an encounter with God in that zone. I would submit to you, if we've had one of those in America, then we could have the whole country under that. And I'm, I'm laughing in my spirit because everywhere where the enemy comes up with some kind of a spell that if he can mesmerize a whole city, he's marking them for the glory. 
I'll tell you what. Uh, yeah, to whatever level he's about to destroy, God's going to overwhelm it with a counter to that. And I, I haven't put all the pieces of this together yet prophetically, but I'll tell you what. New York is marked for a move. I know it. I don't know when. I don't know how. And uh, But I know New York is marked. So what you're saying, Tim? It's a, a you know, I, I've gone back to this the scripture where the parable about the soil where Jesus the, yes gave us the parable of the sower. He gave us four soil conditions, and he basically said, you know, you, you need to know which condition you're sowing into. He didn't tell them not to not to sow. He said, when you're sowing, you need to know what conditions you're sowing into. So when we're not seeing revival, when we're not seeing awakening, we've got a soil problem, which is actually a heart problem. One of the things that I've, I've changed, in, instead of just praying for revival, instead of just praying for the glory to come into my ministry, I've said, God, what do you want me to pray? And he said, I want you to pray for creation to cooperate with what I'm doing. And I want you to pray for the soil to change over cities. And he said, when you pray that, um, even if you don't know specifically how to do it, you just start doing it. So the first thing you'll see is the weather will shift. And as you know, you just described, you know, our our trip to Toronto and and, uh, um, Ottawa and, the, the weather changes almost everywhere I go now. Um, sometimes it's real apparent and sometimes it's just barely noticeable. If it's been dry, it will rain. If it's been raining too much, it will, it will, the sun will come out. It, it just changes you know, while I'm there. Um, I went to England a while back during the height of the rainy season and had three days of sunshine while I was staying in London. And everybody there was like, we never get this. You know, we've got our umbrellas with us all the time this time of year. Like, you're so lucky you're getting to see the, the sun on such a beautiful day. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, this is what I was expecting. <laughs> so I wanted to see London. I didn't want to walk in the rain all day. Other places, they need rain. And, and I've seen God move it. But one of the things that's interesting, going back to the Noah story, God had to give Noah this special grace to prepare for the ark so he could bring the animals in. So he had some kind of a, of a power with God over the creation to just get them to cooperate coming into the ark and to even know how to care for them during the time that they were in the ark for over a year he had to care for all of them during that period while they're floating in the water. Right now, there's one scripture that was really interesting. Um, in Second Samuel, there's a verse when David, King David is warring with Absalom, with the rebellion that came up with Absalom. And Absalom looks like he made some kind of a, either he made an alliance with the Philistines or they just were taking advantage of the civil war and they started attacking Israel at the same time. But but the word of God says David had to fight the Philistines. And when he does, it says the trees of the field fought with David. 
and more of the Philistines were killed by the trees than by the sword. <laughs> now that's a that's a phenomenal verse. It's like, oh my gosh, like what happened there? You know, and even Absalom is captured by his hair getting stuck in the lip branches of a tree. So the tree grabs him and holds him so that he can be dealt with. Yeah. I had a weird thing. I've never done this before. I've sometimes sung to plants and talked to my plants just because I know that frequencies can affect them. But it's not because I'm a, an expert at this. But when the, when I knew that we had some kind of a virus out there and I didn't know how bad it was, I just knew that it was a real thing. We got to, I, I asked God, what do I need to do? I've got to care for my family. I've got a mother I'm caring for. She's 89 years old. I said, this is, you know, if this is going to be bad, I need to know how to protect my house. And so I was in my house praying, Jesus, how can we, you know, can you give me some kind of word where I have an immunity over this? You know, I, I know that you're a healer, but I don't want to get sick and then you have to heal me. Can can I walk in a way that you can, you can make sure you order my steps and you give uh, my family a, a protection from this? And the Lord gave me a weird, a weird answer. He said, I want you to go out and uh, ask the trees for help. You know? And I want you to tell every tree in your yard that you're glad it's there, that you'll take care of it. But right now you need them to help take care of you. And I want you to ask the trees to help you with the virus. Yeah. I said, what's going to happen? What's that going to do? I'm willing to do it, but what's that going to do? He said, if the tree is attacked by a pest or attacked by some kind of a, of a, a foreign um, a virus or something, it, it will put out a signal. It will put out a a resonant sound to warn the other trees and it will call for help. Mm. If one pest attacks a tree, the tree will put out a signal and it will attract another pest that will eat the pest that's attacking it. So I said, I want you to ask the trees for help. I've already equipped them to stop the virus at your boundary. So, okay, so I just went out and I prayed for every tree in my yard. I thanked it for being there. I told it that I was reminded, reminded it that I'm one of God's sons. And I blessed it for being in my yard. And then I said, would you please help? We've got a, some kind of a pandemic going around. I don't know how bad it is, but Jesus said, I need your help. So what you would do to protect yourself, would you protect everyone in my household and anyone that comes into, into my house? and I didn't hear a tree talk back to me. What I got was this tremendous level of peace. The, the level of peace in my household increased about 200%. And I can step off the curb and I can feel the city. I can step back in my yard and I feel this tremendous level of peace. Then I've had some of the animals and some birds have showed up in my yard since March 11th that weren't here before. They're just, they hang out in my yard now, I think, because the trees are providing refuge. You know? I've always had some of that, but it's, it's, there's been an increase. You know? And um, the next thing I noticed is I had um, worms just proliferated in my yard. I mean, multiplied in my yard. Wow. Uh, I don't know 
physics, the physics of all that, I don't fully understand what the trees are doing. But then I looked at this scripture, realized that the trees have done this before, where they, they took a side and they helped God's people. And so I've been calling on creation. And the Lord reminded me that the difference between revival and awakening, I had been told it's when God sovereignly moves, it's awakening. When God's people move and, and repent, it's revival. But then God added a, an extra addendum onto awakening. He said, I want you to understand something about the Noah story that you've never seen. And it's, what, it's part of what I have planned. He said, and you can even calculate out the dates now. So he said, there's two things that happened in the Noah story. He opens a window before he gets allowed to get out of the ark. He opens a window and he sends out a raven and then a dove and then another dove. But God says at the beginning of the story, when, when the rain started, it says God opened the windows of heaven and opened the floodgates of the earth and water gushed up from the earth and it gushed down from the heavens. He said, everyone reads this story. This is Jesus talking. He said, everyone reads this story as a horrible judgment. They have, most of my people have actually made a judgment about me that I mean, Mm. And not understood, I opened the windows of heaven and poured out a blessing on the earth. It was not a blessing to the wicked because they refused to receive it. But it was a blessing to the righteous because it lifted them up and moved them where he wanted them to go. Noah gets the free ride from the valley to the top of Mount Ararat. <laughs> Why? I don't fully know, but he, he, he needed to locate in a different part of the earth for what God wanted to do next. And so often when God's about to break open, he moves us. He, in this case, he moved us to be still for a season. And then he's going to, move many people around. Uh, Lots of people are changing locations, changing cities, making decisions on whether they're going to spend the rest of their life. There's a whole lot of people in some states right now that are literally just vacating because they, they can't stay in that wicked environment anymore. Now that said, the other part of this that's interesting is when Noah finally gets to come out of the ark, the story started out with how bad the earth was that because of the curse that God had spoken on the ground, it was hard to even earn a living or to get the ground to produce because of Adam's sin. And then Noah comes out of the ark and he plants a vineyard and it produces wine and it gives us no dates. Everything else in the story is seven days here, 40 days there, 150 days there, another seven days, another seven days after that. It, it, it gives us a full year's calendar worth of date references until it gets to the vineyard. And then it says Noah planted the seeds and, and then ate of the vine. Hmm. 
the other thing it tells us is that when God closed up the heavens and closed up the, the fountains of the deep, he blessed the earth again. He blessed Noah and his sons again. And right after he gives them that blessing, Noah plants this vineyard and gets a supernatural harvest. Now, the reason why I say it's a supernatural harvest is because in the text, it's a calendar story as well as a flood story. Mm. And he plants the seed and then eats the fruit of it without any dates in between. It's a supernatural harvest. <laughs> wow. And so we're moving very close now. Somewhere I can put a, probably an exact date on it. I don't think I, I should because we're, we're going to have first fruits of this in many parts of the world. So um, somewhere between now and early April next year, we're going to have a supernatural harvest in the earth. Mm, 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 mm. And I'd submit to you the body of Christ is not ready for it. <sighs> However, when God sovereignly begins to move and creation responds to his presence and the earth begins to give it his increase and supernatural things break open from the heavens, stuff that we've been praying for for decades, he finally answers and does. It's going to be like a flood released from the glory the same way there was a flood to lift us up out of the wickedness. So the response after the, the water subsides is better than we have perceived. When we read this story, we, we go right past it because no one gets drunk and then it looks like he gets in trouble and we don't understand all that. So we don't realize or read that God gave them a supernatural harvest and he had just transformed the entire earth to produce again. You know, uh, that's so loaded. And there's one thing that I could say right now. I mean, 100%. Uh, God is trying to get the people of God ready for what's coming. It's, folks, let me tell you something. God's hand is moving. And like my guest pointed out, uh, even in the process of this alleged pandemic, I prefer the word plandemic. Uh, there was a call from heaven, come up higher. Why? Right. Because God's trying to elevate his body to cooperate with what's coming. And what's coming is another phase of the manifestation of God's children in the earth. Beyond what we've seen in the past, God is pulling his body into an, a redemptive interaction with his creation. And some of the things that my guest is talking about, these are pioneer first fruits conversations. This is going to become more and more normalized as we acknowledge our identity as sons of God and daughters of God. That, that identity is a big deal, especially because we're legitimate. We're, we're, we're not illegitimate orphans. We, we are legitimate members of the family. And more than that, you know, one of the things that I, I, I believe the body of Christ, frankly, just isn't ready for is the level of brokenness 
resident in the people that are part of the harvest that is going to be gathered into the body. We, we, we literally, Tim, don't quite know yet what we're going to do with all of these broken people. And I know here at Bride Ministries, we've been getting prepared. God has put a mandate on us. We're training people to work with and minister to the toughest levels of brokenness and uh, uh, bondage. But I'll tell you, it is another level coming. And so I appreciate, I appreciate the prophetic message. I appreciate what you carry. I appreciate the word release. It's powerful. And, um, you know, before we close, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Yeah, the, the response that we should be doing right now to open up the door of awakening is to release blessing. We need to ask God to bless our household again. Every man, woman, and child in our own house. Every cousin and nephew, everybody that's in our bloodline, we need his blessing to come down on their head. It's appropriate right now, instead of praying for revival, or instead of praying for resources, or praying for your church to get back open, pray for the blessing of God to return to your house. In blessing the door of awakening opens. And then as we bless, we do what Abraham does when he's, when God said, Abraham in blessing, I will bless you. So the more you give the blessing away, the more I'm going to increase my glory on you. This is how awakening comes is we need to bless the land. We need to bless the cities. We need to bless even the the places that we think are wicked, instead of murmuring and complaining about them, we need to release a blessing over them. In the blessing is transformation. And an effectual door of utterance will open in the heavens. As we bless, God will open the heavens and his voice will begin to speak to the earth again. And that's what causes the awakening. So, Mm. bless your household uh, and believe that whatever you speak over your house, God will do with the presence and not just with the gift. The difference between a prayer and a blessing is a prayer is a request to God. A blessing is you're gifting God to somebody and in the gift, he does what his nature is. So he puts himself on them and brings an increase or brings something of substance out of himself for them. Every single person in the earth needs to come under the blessing of the Most High. This is how we reap the nations. Wow. So stop cursing your city. Stop cursing your land. Stop murmuring, complaining about its present condition and bless it back into glory. Mm-hmm. Pray for me along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Folks, we've been, uh, we've been talking with Tim Vance. And if you didn't catch it at the beginning, he does have a website at uh, jubileecovenant.org. And uh, from there, you can learn about him um, events um, you can even sow into his ministry 
And you can also link to his Facebook page and follow him there. So uh, with that said, folks, that's all for today. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.